it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Dita Pelid over Zoom video. Dita was born and raised in Tel Aviv in Israel, and she talks about how she got into music. She was very interested and fascinated by the guitar around 10 years old, and that's when she was able to convince her parents to get her a guitar. There is a very specific holiday in Israel where the parents all head to the kids' school and they do a bonfire and they eat and they just have kind of this fun time uh, while, while the kids are at school. And one of the kids in her class, dad, played guitar. And so he was kind of the entertainment of this particular celebration. And that's what drew her to guitar at 10. And she started playing, became obsessed with it. Ended up playing jazz guitar in the army because in Israel you must serve at least two years in the army if you are a female and three, I believe, if you're male. So she went into the army as a guitar player and that's where she also found her voice for singing. Dita talks about getting a full ride scholarship to Berkeley that she ends up turning down because she wanted to go to the new school. She wanted to live in New York. She applies to the new school, gets a scholarship there as well. So she ends up going there. She talks to us about the first real gig she had, which was at a wine bar, and that led her to meeting a lot of people, networking, uh, eventually recording her first record. She talks to us about the first two albums she put out, both uh, of all jazz standards, and then her first record of songs that she had written called Modern Love Songs. And we also talk all about her new record, which is called Love of the Tiger. You can watch our interview with Dita on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Dita Palid. Hi. Hi, Dita. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate you having me. Of course. Uh, my name is Adam, and this podcast is about you and your journey in music, and we'll talk about uh, the new record you have coming out as well, or a new album, I should say. Both work. Amazing. Amazing. Okay, first, were you born and raised in Tel Aviv Is and moved to New York? Or? That's right. Okay, I was talk born in Tel Aviv and I moved to New York 13 years ago. Oh, okay, cool. What was it like growing up in Tel Aviv? It was beautiful. It's actually very different from what it is now. I just came back from a short visit and it felt like the city has changed a lot. Oh, really? But is that Tel a good thing? I don't know. I didn't like it. So much, but I still <laughs> okay. love it. But it's cool. I mean, it's a small city, but it's very full of life. And there's a lot of really good artists and mm -hmm. beautiful things coming from Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky to be able to like learn a lot because there was really good jazz scene when I was growing up there. And there was a lot of people to look up to and like learn from. So that was really cool. Yeah, I've I've interviewed a few artists from Tel Aviv that um and so there's quite a decent music scene from what I gather there, right? Like Israelis are badasses. Yeah. <laughs> For this small city and like everyone is so good. 
That's so cool. And how, well, how did you get into music? Were your, is are your parents musical at all? Uh, brothers and sisters. Emily is a musician or really in music in a no, and they love it, but they're very not like in the arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was ten years old, there's a holiday in Israel that is like it's called I don't know how to say it in English because I don't think it has a name. Lagba Omer, and what we do in this holiday at school is like we have a little campfire and everyone sits around it and like eat, you know, like potatoes, mm-hmm. you put in the thing. And usually someone plays. So like if there's a father or a mother of someone in class that knows how to play, they play the guitar and everyone sings along. And I really liked that idea. And I, I saw a father of someone in my class playing and everyone sang along. And I was like, really wanting to do that myself. So I told my parents, I must play the guitar like okay. that person. And I convinced them. They were like a little hesitant. <laughs> and also I had a, my best friend was studying piano and her teacher really wanted me. I thought, I think she probably wanted to have me as her student because she said I'm too small for the guitar. So I should do piano. And oh, I was like, no. Of course. And I actually got a small guitar when my mm. parents agreed and I started learning. And the year after I was already there with that father, we were playing together and I, it was so funny. I have a picture from that. And I also dressed like him. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, so the following year you were playing the holiday gig. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And that's how I started. I was very motivated to like, yalla, I have to play songs already. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm curious about this holiday. So you said it's a holiday where what, you just get together with family and everybody hangs out around a bar? Like the whole class, yeah. And you hang out. And yeah, and you eat dry fruit. What else do I know about this holiday? Okay. It's a very small one-day holiday. And just for people in what do you when you say your class, what what do you mean by that? Like people are like going you to do school it with? like school does that. Like oh, in the yeah, in school. So all the Got parents you. and kids in class do it. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Okay. Get together and like eat, you know. It's like and, a big party at school. Yeah, it's party outside of school because you make a big fire. Okay. That's really cool. It's so that's really yeah, that's what drew you into to playing guitar. And that's then when you get this guitar. Dream gig, yeah. <laughs> and so you get this guitar and then are you just obsessed with it? Are you playing it all the time, 24-7? I mean, I think in those first few years, I was very quick to learn like to a basic level. But then it wasn't. I had so many things I was doing. I was playing tennis and basketball and I was going to the scouts and dancing jazz. <laughs> like that's how they call dancing class, jazz. Oh yeah, jazz. Dance. My, my I, both of my sons are in dance, and one of them still yeah. isn't dance. The younger one still isn't dance. Yeah, yeah. the jazz so dad did dance. Yeah. A lot of stuff like that, and guitar was part of it. But I really loved it, and I always wanted opportunities to perform. So like I did do a lot of playing at school at those okay. ages, but I wasn't like still. It took a few years till I got really nerdy, and like I did only that. When I was okay. 15, I went, I went to an arts high school. That's really good. Okay. And I don't even know why I got into that high school. Like I wasn't, it wasn't so clear that music is like above the other things that I was doing. You know, I told you I did all this stuff. So music yeah. was part of it, but I wasn't like. Just part wow. of it. It was still that, but I had some intuition that I wanted to go to this special school. Mm-hmm. The art school. And. I got in 
So you had a what audition to get in or you have to audition and I passed. So I was like, okay, I'm going to this school as a guitar player, as a guitar player. And it's like a jazz program, but I honestly knew nothing about jazz, but they accepted me. Wow. So they must have seen potential, obviously. I mean, jazz is so hard. I mean, you're incredibly good at guitar, but uh, jazz is wasn't at the time. Yeah. But yeah, like but I, jazz itself is so technical. And then to be able yeah, I mean, to go in as none, a, yeah. None of the kids at 15 really knew jazz. Like we knew we were going to the <laughs> program. So they see like potential. They're like, okay, and we'll, we'll like, give okay, you a shot. Yeah, let's have these people learn jazz. But like they know that we're not going to know it before. Sure. But they wanted to see dedicated like people that are going to put their hearts in it. So listen, I don't know how it happened. But like from 15 to 18, I was sucked into this scene at the school of jazz. And I was like totally doing only that. Like I didn't know anything else that was going on in the world musically or in any way. I only cared about like playing good bebop solos for a few years, Mm -hmm. like a dream that I don't remember that time, except of like, it was so important to me to like practice four hours a day, at least. Wow. Really the things that made me nervous at the time weren't like, I don't know, social things at high school it was like, when we have this class, I want to play the best solo. And like, I wanted to be the best. Mm-hmm. That's the jazz guitar <laughs> randomly. That's amazing though. Yeah. Uh, were you writing your own songs at this point or were just no, no, the craft or... not about writing your own songs at that stage. You just wanted okay. to know how to play jazz. Okay. And you did that for a while. You ended up going into the the army, right? For guitar? Because you have to serve. Is that what, from what I understand in Tel Aviv or in Israel, you have to serve in their military? Yes. So we all have to go to the army. It's 18. You finish high school and girls go for two years, boys for three years. Okay. And yeah, you have to do it. No choice, right? You just go right in. And then how do you decide which... Like path, like I mean, to go in and then right. get to play so guitar—that's that probably a pretty audition. cool. So I auditioned okay. for this special role that's called—I guess I will translate it as outstanding musician. <laughs> so I auditioned to see if I'm going to get that position, and I did. Mm-hmm. Only like ten people a year get it. Wow, that's amazing! Me, yeah, and then. I was an outstanding musician in the army. So basically it means because everyone in Israel are drafted, mm-hmm. you don't want, they don't want to lose the arts, right? So if everyone at 18 will completely stop working on their craft, there will be no Israeli artists. Cause like imagine dancers, musicians, everyone stopping working and practicing. Yeah. To spend two to three years in yeah. the army. Okay. So they want to, they want to maintain the art. So they allow these special spots for people that can still have time to like work on their craft and their career. Mm -hmm. So I was able to do that. So I still like, I could still practice and play shows outside of the army, but in the army, I also was playing in a band and it was actually a really interesting time because it was the first time after these intense few years of like really diving into jazz that I, again, got a little perspective and remember that there are other things in the world. Mm -hmm. And I had to, the music we had to play in that army band was music for soldiers who just want some entertainment during like very intense training. So they obviously don't want to hear jazz. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They just want some like Israeli pop and rock songs. Sure. 
in the one hour they have in an intense month of training. So we had to provide that. So it made me like connect to the part that loves to do that, you know, play people's songs that have another effect on them and less intellectual jazz stuff. Mm-hmm. And it also, I developed um, a secret wish to sing because yeah, I was only playing the guitar then. And I like realized, wow, I kind of want to sing. Oh, I mean, was there something sing? that like, secret. do you remember that moment or was it just like, I love these pop songs we're playing. It would be cool to be able to sing along as well. I remember that I, I started at the time listening to a lot of music like that's not jazz. And I was mm-hmm. really like loving songs. And once you start loving songs, you want to sing them. And it was such a cool thing to explore my singing, but it was a big secret. It was like, I couldn't tell people that I'm doing it because I was so, I was already at a very good level on the guitar and I was scared to like start being a mediocre singer. Oh, sure. Okay. And it's such a vulnerable thing too, to sing. So I was like, mm-hmm. for two years hiding it, it was like coming out of the closet vibes. Yeah, it, it is interesting how, I mean, it, it makes sense in the in that sense, but that singing is such a vulnerable thing because if you're not good at guitar right away, if you just pick a guitar and start hitting it, it's like, oh yeah, you, you're, you're not good at guitar, but you'll eventually get good. But with singing, it's like, it's your own voice. So if somebody tells you, you suck, you can't sting, right. then you're like, ooh, ouch. Like that means my, the sound of my, something I can't even change <laughs> isn't exactly. good. But it's actually, you can work on it. Right, you can work for sure, but I mean to yeah, take, yeah, but to I take hear that it's in as one, you know, very, what I mean? very personal, yeah, for right, sure. Right, right. Anyway, so yeah, yeah. That, so you decided you want to try to learn singing, but you were playing guitar, yeah, so obviously much better. Guitar teacher, uh-huh. and I started like exploring my voice secretly, but I was also still playing jazz gigs as a guitar player, like for other singers and like with my trio group and stuff like that. Okay, but I did this. Slowly, the two classical singers in my army ensemble noticed that I like to sing and they were really supportive. So like I got one song that was my feature, like Mm. a year in or something. And then I started like exploring singing. And I honestly think I moved to New York right after the army because I kind of wanted even more room to like experience these different parts of myself without feeling so shy about it. Okay. New York, I came here and I presented myself like I play guitar and I sing. And it was a little easier because people didn't know me already as one thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a little easier to change. When you were in, when you're in the army, that's when you presented yourself, like you showed these two other singers or these classically trained singers that you wanted to sing. And like, I told them like, yeah, or I sang a little or something. I showed them a song I learned and loved. And they were like, Dina, they were really liking my singing. It was like very... Wow. Was that, you must've been pretty nervous to show somebody, right? I mean, you were talking about how it was kind of a a thing that you didn't show anyone. And now you're presenting it to people who are already great vocalists. Yeah, I guess it started there. Okay. Okay. And then I was trying to copy them in everything. Like they told me they're not, um, I don't know. They don't eat lactose because it makes them like have phlegm and it's not good for singing. So I stopped doing that. I was like, Oh, wow. Little little tricks. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I'm like attracted to like culty vibes. So like in the jazz bebop, I was like doing what you need to do to be in that. And then in the army, I want to be singer. So I listened to the classical singers. What do you have to do? You know? Mm -hmm. 
It's when you, rituals. I'm just curious with, with the army real quick. Um, are you living like in a barrack or like, are you living uh, like amongst the other soldiers for those two years? No, no. Or? So there are a lot of jobs like I did that you're still at home, but you just go to do stuff. So like okay. I was living in with my parents in Tel Aviv and I okay. had to go to the army, but like, so I didn't have a, it's called like a closed base where you're somewhere and you're sleeping there. Uh-huh. It was an open base. So I was just going, but coming back home. But sometimes if you play the show that's far, we would stay there. Right. But it's, oh, so you're not like necessarily living. Yeah, obviously you're not. You're not living in the barracks or like living amongst everybody else for two years. No, you're no, no. at your parents' house and you just kind of drive in as it's your job. Drive like, in. Okay. And were you playing gigs like every day or is it mainly a lot of practice? And then every once in a while you play? Like how frequently were you guys time. playing? Oh, okay. It really depends. Like imagine like sometimes there's a little war or something. So we can't right, yeah. we're not playing. I don't know. Or there's like times when there's a lot of ceremonies, like for like Memorial Day and stuff. So then we work a lot for mm, holidays. Okay. And then there's time that we don't work a lot. It's really different. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, it yeah. Okay. And then you went to the new school in New York. That's right. Wow. And was that something that you applied to, got into, and then moved to New York? You said you moved to New York and you were kind of presenting right. yourself now as like a, a singer and a guitar right, player. Right. So when I finished the army, I already knew that I want to move to New York. It wasn't okay. only connected to music, by the way. I, I have two older siblings, a brother and a sister, and they both also went to school here in New York. Mm, okay. So as a kid, I always came here in like summers to visit them. And I knew that I'm going to live in New York and also study here. And then when I went to the jazz program at the high school and I saw a lot of like my jazz idols also are in New York, it was, I just knew that I, I had to do it. So I actually got a full scholarship to Berkeley College of Music. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you turned that down. <laughs> and I like... said to my parents, I must go to New York. Let me go audition to the new school. And if they give me a nice scholarship, I'll go there. And if not, I'll do the Berkeley okay. thing. So then they said, okay. And then, so right after the army, I came to New York for two months. And the only thing I had in those two months was that, was that audition to the new school. And I did well. So like I got a great scholarship and like, wow, congratulations. Well, I actually had a hard time that two months in New York. It was the first time I experienced like a winter here. Mm. And remember Israel is like desert vibes. So it was right. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't freezing cold. Sure. Yeah. And I had nothing to do but that audition. So I was very lost. But yeah, that was when I moved to New York. But then I went home for a few months and got ready to like actually move here for school. And then I started the new school. Very cool. And once you're at the new school, did you were you uh, performing at all in New York at that point or just trying to get through, get through you college? Good questions. Um, helping me tell the story. Okay, so... I actually was very lucky. And when I got to New York in the first month I got here, I got a regular gig at a wine bar at the West. Oh, Village. wow. Okay. Yeah. I got some Israeli connections and like, I just walked in the bar and I saw that I saw there was an Israeli manager and we kind of like hit it off. And I told him that I'm a musician of if he ever thought of having live music at the bar. And he says, no, but like, I really want to try. So I said, great. Then we said, let's do it on Sunday and test it. 
So I, uh-huh. I went there on that Sunday with my guitar and my amp and my little microphone stand and microphone. And I played the gig and it was great. And then he, it ended with him asking, what are you doing Sundays the rest of your life? <laughs> and then we, yeah, that was my, so I got that weekly gig. And actually that was the best place to like start experimenting with my sound and like singing more. That was my first time actually getting a lot of like time singing. Mm-hmm. So I was playing um, there every week. I called different musicians. It, it paid all right. So I can call like legit bass players in New York. And I was playing duo and singing songs and I learned new songs every week and brought them. And I really learned a lot in that gig. And then from that, I even got more opportunities. So like, once you get a gig, you're like, you can call people. So you meet new people. So then they call you for gigs or. Okay. And you were networking, went, basically networking yeah. through that, that wine bar. Yeah. Or like people come and know you and invite you to do like this and that, like things start rolling, you know, or like uh-huh. I met, I once met, went to Smalls Jazz Club also in my first semester at the new school. And it's the coolest jazz club in there. Uh, at the West Village, and I went there, and I met this Italian trumpet player, and we chatted a little, and I invited him to sit in at that gig at the wine bar. So he started coming on Sundays for like three times and just played with us. Great trumpet player, Fabio Morghera from Italy. Okay. And, and then after three times, he told me that he knows this guy that has a label in Italy, a very prestige label. And that he think he'll be into making, like producing a record for me. And if I'd be interested and he said, I think you're going to go in many different directions, like genre wise. And, but you also sound so good just playing straight ahead jazz. Like you do here at the gig, you should make it now. You should make a straight ahead jazz recording and like, Cause you just do it so well. Like, why don't you do it? Okay. So I like said, all right. But like, I never thought about making a record. Okay. So I told him, how can I do that? And he said, whatever you do at the bar, we're going to pick the best songs and like go into a studio. And these are songs that you had written? No. So jazz just, is a lot j- of like, yeah, jazz, like songs from the great American jazz book. Okay. That's how they call. Okay. It's like all the jazz musicians, Frank Sinatra, Billie Holiday, they mostly mm-hmm. play songs from that exist, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. So that's what we do is like, jazz musicians we interpret songs interpret Mm -hmm. either instrumentally or with singing so it was mostly that yeah i never wrote a song in that then when i was right right okay so you go to the studio and you record some of the 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 best songs yeah the best that you guys had chosen exactly and i was very lucky and i got like a dream band i was 21 years old and i got roy hargrove i don't know if you know him but he's like a jazz star trumpet player he passed away a few years ago mm-hmm. he's very well known also because he had like amazing style and he was very involved in the hip-hop world and he but he's like amazing jazz musician one of the best ever and he was a special guest on the record and i had gregory hutchinson playing drums so i was like playing with big league people. Right, right. Wow. It was like a big, I now know how it helped me. Like it was a strong start because then I was called to play a lot of jazz festivals in Europe and here. And I all of a sudden had like a little career to handle. Mm-hmm. Jazz career when I was just in my first semester at the new school. So I got a lot of opportunities from doing that record and etc. So I 
I feel like I at the new school I was already like handling a little kind of do here. doing the artist thing already. Yeah. Right. Which so was very fun. Sure. Did you end up finishing at the new school? Yeah. Oh, okay. Four years. Wow. So you go through the would you graduate like as a jazz guitar player with a Yeah. Okay. I mean I was already completely like working as a singer there then too. Mm-hmm. But like I was at the new school, I attended as a guitar player. Okay. So like my recital and everything was that, but they were like letting me sing. They love that I do both. Mm-hmm. And your first, uh, well, that, that first record is a self-titled album, right? That's when you're talking about the one that you did the jazz record. Yeah. What do you mean by self-titled? It, uh, it's just your name is the call. Ah. Is what it's called. It's called Dita plays and sings. Oh, Class- okay. Yeah. So Dita plays and sings and then modern love songs is the next record. Right. So modern love songs was my first attempt at like, yes, writing or making something a little less like straight ahead jazz. Right. Those are, those have songs that you've written, right? Written right. Most yourself. of them, there's still a few covers there, but the covers are already like from different worlds. It's not like jazz standards anymore. Okay. Like there's a Randy Newman cover there, Willie Nelson. What else is in there? It's, I haven't listened to it, thank God, for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. with that album, was it? how was it uh, writing songs for the first time that were, you know, yours? Was that a different, oh. like, what was that like? So everything honestly came from the gig. So like I was playing that wine bar gig mm-hmm. and I was playing a lot with the bass player that became very close collaborator, Tal Ronan, is Israeli. And we started, instead of just playing standards, also bringing... Um, like folky songs, so like Bob Dylan, Lou Reed, whatever songs we liked, I started like bringing them and singing them and treating them as if they were jazz standards. And as we did that, we started like wanting to write our own songs and we started writing together. So I wrote most of these songs with him. Oh, okay. And that was really cool. We learned a lot from it. And those are the songs that ended up on that record. So that was all work. Yeah, you've done them with him. And then you put out another record after that. And was that more jazz standards? Or was that back yeah, to... Yeah, so I actually was working on the record that they did with Tal, the writings, the songs. Uh-huh. And I was a little frustrated before releasing it with like, there's a lot of work that's not making the music, which is kind of hard sometimes. Uh-huh. And I was a little like, wow, I need to do something completely different for a second. And... I was actually also working on my visa, my next artist visa, and I need I needed to meet a Fabio, that trumpet player, uh-huh. to sign like a letter from me, a recommendation letter. And they <laughs> told me, Dida, like, you want to make another jazz album? Because like Sergio, the guy who owns the label, really wants to make another record with you. But he said, but I'm in New York. He already moved back to Italy. So he said, I'm in New York just for three weeks. So if you want to do it, we need to do it like in two weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And because I was like so needing something else for my soul, I told them, let's do it. And like, I make, I made up a record in like two weeks. I made a whole repertoire and a concept and I recorded an instrumental mostly album with Mm -hmm. a really good trio. We did it an organ trio. So like no bass, organ, drums and guitar. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very good record. It's like a record. And so that was done that quickly. Right. So it's like, yeah, hard. wow. Things are not as easy as they sound. And like something went wrong with that recording day. And I like booked another recording without Fabio. 
of like I needed to I needed to redo a few things. Uh-huh. So it took longer, but yeah, it was basically a very quick record. And I'm very proud of it. It's called A Missing Shade of Blue. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah, amazing. And with yeah. this, you have a new record coming out and you've released a few songs uh, thus far. And yep. with, with, with the new album and everything, was this something that, like, when did you start working on these new songs? Okay, so, so many stories. So while I was touring a little and releasing these albums that we just talked about, I was also spending a lot of time in Israel. I had graduated from the new school and I had reasons that I needed to be there more. I also was in Europe a lot playing, so it made more sense because it's closer. Mm-hmm. So while I was spending a lot of time in Israel, I met this amazing two guys that we started a band together called the Ragtime Vampires. And it's like we only played after midnight. We had a little bandana <laughs> with blood on it. And it's like wow. it's a funny band. It's like a fast Americana songs or like a jug band vibe, but with like witty Hebrew lyrics. Okay. So I really love playing with them and it will like open up a lot of chakras for me. And one of the guys there is like a genius and his name is Yami Whistler. And we really like hit it off and had a good um, time writing songs together. So I started stealing him for my project and I met him four times over the course of two years in Europe for a week to do like a writing thing. So we met in Berlin. We went, we met in Switzerland twice and we met again in Berlin and just did songwriting. We just listened to music and write, wrote songs. So a lot of the songs from the record that I'm about to release are from those journeys in Europe with Yami. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we and- wrote a lot of songs. We wrote like 40 songs. Every time for a week, we went like, we came back with like 10 songs. Wow. And when, does, yeah. when was this done? What like Was this done within the past year or so? Or is this a while back? They were, they were, the writing was a while ago. But during the pandemic, I started recording them. Oh, okay. And were you here or were you in New York during the pandemic? Or were you uh, in I was Israel? in New York. Oh my, I'm sorry. Okay. No, <laughs> well, it's just, it was horrible there. <laughs> That's what, it was horrible but, everywhere. Yeah. Horrible everywhere, I guess. Yeah. But so you were, but you were here in, in New York and that. Yeah, and I actually had no plan in recording these songs, by the way. I, I had given up doing that because I tried many times before mm-hmm. and I felt like I just can't get the recording right. Like I was sitting with amazing, very talented producer and producers and, tried a lot of different approaches to how to record these songs and nothing really felt like that's the perfect fit. Mm-hmm. That's the sound I like to go with, even though I really love the song and I was the songs and I was already playing them at shows and it felt like they're my songs, you know? Right. But the recording didn't go well in many times. So I was like, I don't think I should record these songs anymore. Honestly, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was tired of it. And I tried a whole new approach. I went to Berlin. The, the last trip I told you about mm-hmm. was actually, I told my Yami and another friend who's, who collaborated with us, let's try a whole different thing. And when we write the song, let's record them like hip hop style. Like we make a beat and we, we make the song to it. Cause I felt like maybe if the, the song wouldn't exist before, and then we have to record them, 
Mm-hmm. Maybe something will feel more organic, like we made them into the recording. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're recording them like basically live as you're writing, writing exactly. them all down. And I okay. felt like that's, I wanted to explore that way of writing songs and recording them. Mm-hmm. In attempt to actually be able to finish a recording. So then I did that and we ended up with like a bizarre, amazing electronic EP. <laughs> and then that I will release. Okay. But before that happens, so then I was like, before the pandemic, I was so excited about that project, even though it's very different from everything I ever did and it doesn't even have a guitar. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Just like bizarre thing. I never sang like that before. It was something totally special, but it has such a strong energy that I felt like, wow, that's it. Mm-hmm. And, and I had like two weird performances in, at Club Cummings in the East Village at a comedy show of Cat Cohen with those songs. And like, I thought that's my new direction. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic hit and like, obviously nothing, everything stopped. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I don't know, a month or two into the pandemic, I was a little bored at home. So I made them, so I reconnected like the setup of like recording at home. And because I didn't have something else to do, I started recording the songs, the acoustic songs I wrote before at home to see, just to mess around with recording at home, basically. Mm-hmm. And those really simple versions started to feel it. Like it started to feel very convincing and honest. And I sent it to the guys in my band that played like local shows with me in New York. Mm-hmm. And they also like recorded themselves playing. And those versions started to feel like that's the sound. How didn't they do it before? Just playing it more like we play together at shows. Mm-hmm. without trying a production, you know, just a live thing. So we really got to a place we like with the four songs like that. And then at that time I got a call. I, I had a sushi with my friend Spencer mm-hmm. and I told them that we have versions that I am able to commit to and I need a mixing engineer to mix it together. And he recommended a guy named Phil. And I went home and I found a Phil online and I, hit that guy up. I thought it's, it's perfect for it. And we hit it off right away. And we set a week at a studio upstate to finish the record. Cause they said, I'm, I'm down to mix your songs, but if you have more songs, let's track them first. And then we mix everything together because it will sound more cohesive. Mm-hmm. I says, yes. I said, yes. And Phil and I and the band go upstate for a week, three weeks after, like it was very quick. And then I go and like 10 minutes before we get to that house, four hours away from Manhattan already, mm-hmm. I ask Phil, so how do you know Spencer Murphy? And he tells me that he doesn't know Spencer Murphy. And I, but I said that he's a guy who recommended you. And he said, no, Spencer Zahn recommended. He told me that he recommended me to you. And I told him, I know Spencer Zahn, but we never talked about you. Anyway. I found Whoa. that I'm in the car with the wrong Phil. And I was about to spend a week with them in that house. And finish oh, man. But I was honestly so happy because I already felt like we had such a strong, good connection that like I knew that he's the guy who's going to help me finish this. Mm-hmm. And he did. We had an incredible week. We just played the songs that we I didn't record here at home together as a band up there. And we, you know, added fun stuff later, like overdubs. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty easy from there to finish the record. 
That's funny though. You were in the wrong, you had the wrong fill in the car. Yeah. The but other fill is great too. I'm excited to work with them one day. <laughs> wow. Okay. And the, and the record is called love of the tiger. And t- well, tell me about the concept of the album. What, what is that about? Uh, well, another big story, the record, there's one song called love of the tiger. Mm-hmm. That song I wrote, I actually started it when I was playing shows in Russia and I had a day off at a very bizarre hotel like really cables came from the walls. It was like a scary place a little, mm-hmm. but I was actually coming from a week in Germany with Yami and writing songs. And in the end of our session, we were discussing kind of like joking about maybe my grandmother is from Thailand. Mm-hmm. And I grew up thinking that I mean, I've been told that she was a Thai princess and till today, no one has disputed that. So I, I always known that I'm a Thai royalty. Anyway, (laughs) when we talked about like directions for like genres to write songs, one of them was maybe I should be like, because you do know that the king of Thailand was a blues musician until 2006 when he passed away. He's like an incredible guitar player. Wow. I did not have any clue. That's incredible. So I thought maybe like my performance character could be like a cool Thai royalty guitar player. Mm-hmm. So when I was in Russia and I had a day off, I was like try- messing around. I was listening to psychedelic Thai music from like the 60s. And I tried to write a melody that will feel like could work for that character I tried to invent for the Thai blues player. And I just wrote this melody like that is the one of the tracks on this record that's called Love of the Tiger. But it's um, it's actually based on Thai blues kind of sound that I imagined. Mm-hmm. But the tiger thing also is a big thing. Well, I'm telling you all the stories. <laughs> tiger thing is my dad has an obsession with tigers and he has an insane collection of tigers and tattoos all over himself. He's like a crazy guy. Like, the like what do you, what do you say? He has up. an insane collection of tigers, like figurines. Not real tigers. Or, not oh, real tigers. I'm like tiger items. Items of t- Okay. He's yeah. not the tiger king or anything like that. No, no, no. But okay. it's like that. Like he has tattoos, car with tiger. He's <laughs> like an insane museum of everything you can imagine, item of tigers you can imagine. Okay. And so uh, I call the song Love of the Tiger because it feels like also Thai, but also tiger and also the album. And actually, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to give you a sneak peek because I know this is going to be out when the album is out. This is going to be the album cover and it has my sister printed it for me. It's not it yet, but it has a, a tiger. Oh, wow. I don't know if you see it well. Yeah, I can see it. Is that your, you said your, is that your sister in the chair? No, it's me. Oh, it's you in the chair. I, what'd you say about your sister? I, I thought you oh, said she printed it for me because it's just, Oh, she printed it. There. Yeah. I was going to say, I can't tell who it is in the, in that. I, in the, I know. Okay, but I can see the tiger and I can see someone sitting in the chair. So you are in the chair and the tiger. That's cool. Yeah. I, wow. Okay. So the, the story behind the tiger. And then you recorded some of the songs were tracked at your house. And then those made the recording as well, the record? Some of them. So yeah, there was um, some of the song I started in my house. And then we started going to Jersey City to my friend who helped me produce it. He co-produced the record, Andrew Foreman, and he plays in my band. Mm-hmm. We went there, me and Guy Paz, the drummer. 
the three of us started hanging out a lot. It was right when the pandemic was a little less insane and like people would meet in close in like small groups. Mm-hmm. So we started hanging out like twice a week at Jersey City and just messing around with the version I started here and they like overdubbed some drums, percussion, more, you know, back vocals, more guitars and stuff. So we made a few songs just like that. Mm-hmm. And then five of the songs, we just tracked them as is upstate, just a live performance with some fun overdubs too. Wow. Exciting. Well, I can't wait to, to hear the record in full. I've heard a handful of the songs off the album and I, and I love it so far. So thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you so much for, for hanging out and chatting with me today. I appreciate your time. Hey, it's yeah. so fun. <laughs> I have one more question for you, Dita, before I let you go. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Hey, wow. It depends what they want to do. <laughs> uh, musicians, guitar players. Play a lot of music with people. No, seriously, like I think playing with people and making things like real really helps. So like wherever stage you are and what you want to do, find more people that want to do just that and like do that with them. 